From the Haunted or Trashy Network, I'm Philip, and this is our weekly episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the top theme park news from each week. If you're looking for haunt-only news, check back tomorrow or subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at the link in our show notes. Coming up, this episode is jam-packed with quick hits. Hugs are coming back to character meet and greets. At Disney Parks, there's new dates for the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. Sesame Place is open. Tate Group acquires Thinkwell. And Universal is planning their own housing community. All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park and 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged Theme Park and 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, Scott. Hey everybody! Uh, hey Philip, um, it's it's good to see you all. It's you know another week has gone by and uh, we still got more stuff to talk about. What a shocker! All right, so <laughs> survived April Fool's. So we're here. There you go. We got some we got some new news, um, more stuff to talk about, and hopefully stuff that will uh, promote you guys to continue talking about the topics that we bring up here in our little thirty minutes together. Well, let's start off the show this week with some quick hits. These are things that are not too long, not huge stories in terms of discussion or impact, but they are big stories in terms of big moves in the industry kind of things to think about. The first is that Mickey Mouse is ready for hugs at Walt Disney World again. According to the Disney Parks blog, as soon as April 18th, guests can visit the characters as normal at Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, and Alani Resort in Hawaii. They'll be implemented in phased changes. Exciting. We're getting characters back. Yeah, I think it's neat. I mean, you know, we've we've always said that we're gonna we're gonna continue to move forward and figure out what this is all gonna how this is all gonna look. Um, you've heard us use the term, you know, we've entered the Wild West and we need to reestablish what's going on. And now that more and more people have been vaccinated and boosted and some have received their second booster already, um, I, I think that, you know, we're we're getting it under control. I think we've had sort of a reality check and um and I think that that we're you know we're ready to to make this offer again. The thing I really like is um, for those people who are still wearing masks in areas that are not required, or for those people who are still deciding to to physically distance, even though it's no longer a mandate. Um, the thing I like about it is I, I'm personally, and I don't know if this is true everywhere, but personally, I'm seeing fewer and fewer people being resistant to that. They're just accepting it as if you want to, you can, and if you don't, you don't need to. Yeah. I've actually seen family groups where one of the, one of the members or two of the members of the family are wearing masks and the rest are not. Um, and it's not an issue. It is a personal choice. And now we are getting to that point where it can be a personal choice without, um, endangering anybody else. Yeah. One might even call it a new normal that we've arrived at. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably <laughs> right. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, Philip, you, you know, you, your, your business, your company does a lot more, um, is a lot more in touch with what's happening in Asia and in China, for example, we see it was always normal. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, it's always normal. And it's, and it's, yeah. you know, and it, and it happened, you know, it became even more normal because of SARS and then it became even more, more normal because of COVID. And, and so it's, it's one of those situations where it's, just what you do. And and I'll be honest, I think I'm still going to continue to wear masks, even if, for example, the the uh, the FAA decides that I don't need to wear one on a plane. I think I'll still wear one on a plane just because um, it makes me feel somewhat safer. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's uh, not 100% accurate, but um, if I travel enough, I, I don't want to ne- I don't necessarily spread something from one location to another, whether it's COVID or the common cold. So, um, 
I, I kind of like the fact that we are getting into that new normal. And this is just another example of how we can get back to a sense of, nor- of normalcy, norm- normalcy, um, normality uh, by, by hugging Mickey again. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I also think this couched in this could be a little bit of a staffing flag here. Like I, I, I think a, a piece of the the reason that that entertainment has not returned as normal as quickly. Yes, I think the 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 big excuse was that you know post pandemic we're trying to figure out the new normal new normal. But I think the other piece of it was staffing. It takes more staff to to have character meeting greets where the characters interact with people. It, it, just, it takes because it takes longer. You get through less throughput. It takes it overall it takes more bandwidth from the staff. So I think that is another reason <laughs> like the oh entertainment's coming back everything's coming back oh i wonder why that is is it because you finally have cast members again that can do these well, things oh i think that i think that may definitely play into it i think that may definitely play into it i think that uh it's also i think it's also that that we want to continue to offer experiences that go inward versus outward and i right. think that by by making those by creating those intimate moments um we're making f- people feel comfortable again yeah well, I don't know about if this is making people feel comfortable again, but the next story is that, they, well, I guess it's comfort food. The, the Epcot Absolutely Food comfort. and Wine Festival is returning, and they've announced the dates going from July 14th to November 19th. That is 129 days. 129 uh, days? <laughs> so it, it's it's a full quarter. They, they are now, like, food and wine is a full quarter. Do you remember when it used to be like a month and now it's a quarter? Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, and it's interesting because it just kind of shows that, um, A, there is enough demand for it to expand it. Um, it allows them to amortize their investment over a longer period of time. And it allows them to always have something newsworthy going on in their parks. You know, uh, it's it's the idea that every theme park I think has done when they talk when they start doing quarterly events, um, not yeah. quite as as robustly as it's the entire quarter. But uh, I, I think that this is I think this is where we were headed. Um, I don't think it's you know, we, we reported last uh, last week about uh, Halloween Horror Nights and it being incredibly long this year and this yeah. being incredibly long. I think this is another way to meet guest demand because the pent up the pent up guest demand for this has has been building over the last couple of years and the floodgates are open this year let's give everybody the opportunity if you want to experience epcot food and wine you will now have the opportunity to throughout the entire quarter yep i'm not sure if we mentioned this on the show but just to add another data point to the pile the boysenberry festival this year was extended by an extra week as well at knots and uh, it's the same format when you look at all of these kind of food things. Well, maybe it's not the same, but all of them. But the 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 concept of you have a tasting cart is also like kind of taken hold everywhere, um, even down to the knots one, which is the same shape and uses the same tab <laughs> system as the Disneyland one. Well, and the funny thing is, Bush Gardens, you know, Bush Gardens is is doing their um, food festival as well. And what's interesting is they have extended theirs to be the entire summer, very similar to this, not quite as long, but they, they're actually layering sub-events over it. So um, mm-hmm. there's, there's food tasting and concerts, and now they're layering in um, Viva La Musica, which is a, an event that was a separate standalone event before, but now it's been layered over the, the food and wine experience. And um, 
it's it, it's where all the concerts go uh, go Latin and uh, th- a little bit of the decor changes. So they're now doing overlays on their overlays to make it so that even within the same festival, there are sub festivals, which means guests are being encouraged to visit even the festival, which was their reason to go to the park multiple times or give them a fuse if they want specific types of music or specific types of food. So I think it's taking, I think it's really interesting that it's taking the concept of let's provide a new reason to come to the park and applying it not just to the park as a whole, but even to the the seasonal festivals as well. So there's sub seasons within seasons now. Yes. Again, one more data point on that. The Disneyland also has their, egg extravaganza that is like kind of overlapping the mm-hmm. uh the their their food festival but anyway so moving on <laughs> so uh our next quick hit here of course is the disneyland paris celebrated its 30th anniversary being on march 6th so we've been holding on to this story for a while but i'm sure you've already read all about it um about the different offerings that they have in in other places because it was pretty big news um, the biggest takeaway from this is that uh, drones. Drones are the biggest takeaway. <laughs> uh, drones as an entertainment medium is an area where Disney has dabbled in the past, but this will be the first time that drones will be used as part of the daily outdoor show in a Disneyland park, in a Disney park. In the past, drones have been used for limited time engagements at Disney Springs and Walt Disney World and for press opening of Rise of the Resistance at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Disney Delight <laughs> will utilize 200 synchronized drones for the show at uh, Disneyland Paris in France. So again, I think drone shows are great. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, I, I think we will, I think th- depending on what happens with them and depending on the guest uh, response to them and depending on how they're used, because again, they're a tool. They're an end, yeah. they're, they're a means, not an end. And uh, they're, they're another really cool thing. I love drone shows. Don't misunderstand me. I think they're really fun. Uh, I hope that Disney continues to find new and unique ways to use them and to incorporate them with other technology so that the storytelling continues because that's what Disney is really, has always really been known for. Um, and I'm wondering, I don't know this for a fact, Philip, maybe you do. Do you know if there's any um, difference in the uh, the regulatory issues in, in France um, and why they're, why they're doing it there? Because I know that there was some concern here in the States um, about flying them over guests because drones, no matter how um, reliable they are, are still mechanics and they're still, they still can fail. And when a drone fails, it falls. So yeah. I don't know whether there's, there's a, a different different way of, of monitoring that in in Paris or not I know there are different regulations I'm not sure if we will see the regulations uh, kind of like make a carve out for entertainment drones like I, I know that especially in California there are regulations on just like a individual personal drone usage and being able to fly in areas where there are people and they're not really allowed but I'm not sure about entertainment drones I'm not sure if they're different I'm sure eventually it'll be developed. Um, because it's it's kind of just a natural extension. Again, these are things that are natural extensions. Mm-hmm. Natural extension in that if you're out of physical space around you, uh, where do you go? You go up. And previously we went we went up with firework shows, but firework shows uh, cost money, and also they they can't be fired off uh, without huge expense. You know, like every hour or every you know, et cetera, et cetera. But stuff like projection mapped shows uh, like on castles <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, those types of things, they could, 
they can be fired off more frequently. And it provides another, you know, just another way to engage guests and soak up crowds and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Plus you can change them. It adds that seasonality to it, et cetera. So it, this is a natural extension of that show. And so I'm sure that there will be some carve out established, especially in Orlando, <laughs> that yeah, has to yeah. do with well, uh, yeah, it's, Joe it's entertainment clearly, drones. It's clearly a capital investment versus an expense investment. You know, if you, if you invest, if you invest in the capital of the drones or the, uh, the uh, projection mapping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You still have to recreate new content, but you have to recreate new content for fireworks shows as well. But you don't have to. You don't have to pay any more for the actual pieces to make it happen. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm wondering. I see. I'm originally there had to be a fallout zone, just like there was for fireworks. I'm glad you made that that comparison. So I don't know whether that's still true or not, or whether those regulations are different in France, which is why they're they're doing it there first. Um, but either way, I think it's cool, and I think it means that. Uh, uh, you know, they're continuing to look at at new and different ways to, as you say, expand up. So yeah, expand up. Well, our last two quick hits stories. First, the first US Super Nintendo World will open at Universal Studios Hollywood in 2023. Uh, not much else to say there. That was big news. I'm sure everyone is aware of it. But you know, we just had to make sure we we mentioned that another new place that just opened was Sesame Place in San Diego. SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, a leading theme park entertainment company, and Sesame Workshop, the nonprofit educational organization behind Sesame Street, have officially opened Sesame Place San Diego, the newest theme park in California, and the first Sesame Place on the West Coast. Yeah, I for those of you who've never experienced Sesame Place uh, in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, it is an adorable park. And if you grew up, I mean, I am the ideal age for Sesame Street. Um, I was <laughs> I was five when it came out, so I was the target audience. And so I grew, I literally grew with the Sesame Street brand. And even as a grown up with no children, it is really exciting for me to go to this, uh, to go to the park and to see some of the characters that have been my friends as long as I can remember. Uh, and now that the fact that you can do that on the West Coast, I think is great. I also know some folks who, who were involved um, with yeah. this opening. And I know that internally, and, and I, I can't really tell too many tales out of school, but internally the buzz is that this is, this is a really special place. Um, it's got, they were able to take what they've learned from the Sesame installations that they have done, um, in all of the SeaWorld parks and entertainment parks, uh, not just in Langhorne and continue to build upon them. So they've kind of been finding ways to refine this concept, um, for the last several years. And this, uh, from what everybody has told me, this is really the park. If you're, if you're into the brand, this is the park to go to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk now about some bold moves happening in the attraction space. The first one, which is, at this point, it's old news, but Scott and I have not talked about it yet, but it is still big news, is the uh, Tate acquisition of Thinkwell Group. Operating since 1978, Tate's diverse group of markets include theme parks, theaters, cruise ships, concerts, and corporate events with marquee clients ranging from Princess Cruises, Fortnite, World Cup, and U2 to Disney, Universal, and the Olympics. At the core of its services is Tate Navigator, a show control and proprietary automation platform that maximizes the client's creative vision, and they have acquired ThinkWell. Hmm. So this is exciting for me because as a creative, it's it's creative and tech coming smashing head to head and recognizing we need each other. Um, I, I I think that's really smart. Um, you've heard me quite often say don't don't re- don't lead with tech, lead with story. Use tech to tell stories, and this is a perfect example of a in essence a uh, 
show control platform, a company that is is based on a show control platform, recognizing this, embracing it and saying, you know, we can do a whole bunch of cool stuff, but without the help of somebody like a Thinkwell group, which is brilliant, quite honestly. I mean, again, a lot of great people work for that organization as well. Um, without that, we are limited in what we can do. And by uh, by making this acquisition, it sounds like they're ready to expand and they're ready to be able to offer from uh, from thought to installation to closing, which, again, very smart. I think it's a smart move. I am not sure if it's smart. It, it could be smart. I think we will we will see. Um, you know, just as with all acquisitions, we, we, you know, you never, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, even sometimes if they seem smart, they don't end up working out. But what I was thinking when I saw this is that, uh, the pendulum has now come back on this way and there are natural cycles in industries. And of course the end of something like a crisis, like a pandemic always kind of pushes the pendulum this way. You know, we've talked about this as well, where you see a lot of the, companies start to get acquired because larger companies end up getting access to larger capital due to the uh, stockholder nature and smaller companies tend to get squeezed when they don't have access to capital through the pandemic. And so it creates opportunity for acquisition, which is kind of where we are now. Um, it also, as we mentioned, we mentioned it just a few times as well. You, you see, so on the one hand, you're seeing like a lot of companies be able to acquire and doing those, those acquisitions to try and push themselves into like the next stage of growth and whatnot. Um, then what that does by its very nature is it opens up opportunities for niches. So you will, you see the creation of really small mom and pop kind of like niche places that are now coming in to fill the needs that can no longer be met by those larger companies because they moved into a different space. So you'll see in little, acquisition their small, smaller companies pop up, which Scott and I have seen, uh, even some of our friends that we know making up smaller companies. Um, and that's kind of the way of things or I'm seeing. So I think we will continue to see a little, a few more acquisitions, big acquisitions in the entertainment sector. Uh, definitely. Um, we've, what was there were a few that we already talked about the there were, RWS. There were some offers. Yeah, there was yeah, RWS yeah. and then there were some offers out for uh, you know, one one theme park chain actually purchasing. Yeah, well that's that's not that, and, those and offers that, aren't real. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But this actually happened. And um yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting that you have you have hesitancy to say you think it's a good idea, but I uh, <laughs> I, think that, I think that there is I think there is something to be said for so much can go wrong with acquisitions. You know, so much can go wrong with any acquisition, but I think the theory behind it is is intelligent, and I think it's a. Sure. I think it's exciting, and I think it's exciting to see. Yeah, but you're Eeyore. You'll never, you'll never like anything. You're such a, you're so grumpy. You're so grumpy. It's just like we, we, you know, we we mentioned even about uh, Microsoft and acquisition Blizzard. You know, that acquisition, we're like, you know, that sounds good. It all sounds good. Great. Like, I hope it works out. Um, but also, acquisitions are tricky. You know, merging two different companies together, and then you you think that your target markets overlap, or you think that it's a good product market fit, and then you put everything together and you realize it's not. <laughs> like, and then so it's not know. really so it's not really the acquisition that's tricky. It is the application of the acquisition that is tricky. So what you're yes. saying is what you're saying is this could be the best idea in the world, and if it's handled well, it's it will be successful, and if it's not handled well, it won't be. So yes, yes, that's. That's a completely different thing from saying this acquisition is not necessarily a good idea. I think this acquisition is an excellent idea. How it's applied may be something completely different. Yeah. And, and, and I think I'm that regardless yeah, of how it's applied, it will open up opportunity for some small like 
independent, very small businesses to kind of pick up some of the loose ends that are left in the acquisition. Well, yeah, I think to your point, I think that ThinkWell now being under um, now being under TAIT or Tate, now it, I think that will open up some opportunity for some some new smaller independent creative companies because uh, I'm sure that their their direction is going to shift now, and uh, so I, I agree with you there. I definitely agree with yeah. you there. The next big move we have is Universal Parks and Resorts plans housing community in Orlando, Florida. Oh, didn't we just talk about it? Uh, I don't, it sounds familiar. It anyway. Sounds, it does sound uh, very, but you it know, it's a small like, world. It's a small, it is a small, so oh gosh. It's a small world after oh, all. Oh, Lord help us. Okay. Um, a planning application was recently lodged by Universal Parks and Resorts and Wendover Housing Partners to build an affordable housing complex called Catch Light Crossings in Orlando, Florida. Plans for the 1,000-unit mixed-income development project include a marketplace for classes and hobbies, a community event space, a playground, a game room, a fitness center, a grilling gazebo, a neighborhood food pantry, two resort-style swimming pools, community gardens, and technology cafes. So um, where Disney goes, so does Universal, apparently they have to. Um, and I just think it's it's interesting. I do like it. I do, I do like this. I'm not, I'm not dissing on them. I like that though, that we have um, two similar companies that have taken completely opposite approaches, mm -hmm. probably for that reason, because they're mm -hmm. both doing it, so they're taking opposite. So we have one where we're like, we're going to make a, a Disney curated experience, and then we have the exact opposite, which is a mixed, basically going from curation, which I had mentioned when I talked about it, curation can also mean walled garden. They are they they can be very similar. Mm -hmm. You know, it depends on who is doing the curating and and what their their modus operandi is. But then we have Universal, who is saying we're deliberately going to throw people of different backgrounds together, of low income and higher income. We're going to put everyone together in the same community, and we're going to dedicate a significant portion to specifically community use areas mm -hmm. and food pantries, places where people can come together and gather. And it's really focused on the community versus something that is a curated uh, experience outside of the Disney community, which is the one that Disney's planning. So this one is like one in the Orlando area for the community. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, again, having used the fact that you just used the word community several times in your explanation and well, but I, I there's a reason there's a reason I mentioned that um, yesterday I had the opportunity or day before yesterday I had the opportunity to um be the day chair for a collegiate experience that was all about hospitality within the Tampa Bay area. And um, we took people, everything from uh, theme parks to zoos, to sports teams, to uh, catering facilities. We went all over Tampa and, and spoke with people in all the different sides of, of hospitality. And the one word that came up over and over and over again was the importance of building a relationship with the community. Um, yeah. And I'm, it's very exciting to see that. And that's what resonates with me in this particular uh, in this particular story is that Universal recognizes that. And, you know, even though they're not making, you know, the Avengers campus that you can live on, uh, what they're what they're doing is they're they're making a connection with the community and all levels of the community. And yeah. I and I think that's I think that is a smart business move because as we've learned more and more uh, younger up and coming business executives and business professionals want to work for or work with companies that are community-based, that are, are socially minded. Um, 
it's not the it's not the walled garden that it used to be. Um, and I think it is it is one of those situations where this is a way of of Universal showing its its potential next generation of high level executives. We do care. We do care about uh, about the community and the local community, especially in Orlando, which is where they have a huge hub right now. So uh, and a, and a growing hub, a continually yeah. growing hub. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that this is a great. I think it's a great opportunity to um, to diversify in the right way. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that people don't recognize is when the Wizarding World of Harry Potter opened, um, Universal had more money than they knew what to do with, and they had to find ways to invest it and invest it quickly. Otherwise, there were you know tax impl implications, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, my, I don't know this for a fact, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is even still just a little bit of of spinoff from that. Um, even if it's not, I think it's a great idea uh, to expand in this way because I think it makes people, well, just like we're talking about it. They, we talked about Disney, about being a curated high-end experience, a walled garden experience, and we're talking about Universal as caring about the community. So yeah. I, I think it's an interesting, an interesting approach, and it's uh, instead of it's instead of competing with Disney, it's filling a need that Disney's not filling. So I think that's I think that's wise on all levels. Highlighting what you said about filling a need, I do want to also draw the line here. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm just drawing the line here about how there's a lot of political division in the country right now. A lot, everyone agrees on this. <laughs> the one thing we can all agree on is that people there's are division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's division. The fact that not everybody agrees. That's the yeah, and. A lot of uh, you know social scientists have pointed to kind of the lack of community spaces and kind of the lack of interaction between people that you wouldn't normally interact with as as a, an underlying factor in that. There, yeah, there's social media. I mean, there, there's a lot of you know big causes, right? But that's one of them is that you don't get together at the local downtown street or at the library or do these kind of things anymore. And that the big question is whose responsibility is that, you know? And I think we've started to see parks maybe say, maybe part of that is something we could get into uh, and, and provide those community spaces as well as like what shed, we talked about the shed story previously. Mm -hmm. This is also the same direction they're going in. It's something that is a community space. And I'm like, well, that's a tricky line. And it's tricky because of just what we talked about last week, which is Chapex latest snafu, which should be a neat meme at this point, is like, you know, the, the old way of doing things is to kind of say, you know, no, we're not, uh, we're not involved in any of that. We kind of like take your, take your Switzerland kind of stance on the things that are happening. But if you're going to be for the community and you're going to create spaces that are for the community that are essentially competitors to or, or adjacent to like the community rooms at libraries, then you have to ask if that is a role that you're going into, then maybe you do need to have a stance on some of the other things. And I think that's why it gets tricky is because you're, it's, it's, a, it's a slope in that direction. Well, and, and there was a time, there was a time where a theme park would have considered a free social space in competition yeah. with themselves. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that trend is clearly at least being ch chipped away at. I won't say it's going to go away, but that trend is at least being chipped away at. And and it gives people a perfect opportunity. It gives companies, sorry, a perfect opportunity to remind people, you know, the fun that you're having with your family now 
is has been brought to you by Universal. Yeah. So exactly. It's a it's a it's a subtle way of of it's actually a very subtle way of marketing, but it's also right. a way of of showing how uh, large corporations can step up and make a difference. And the nice thing is, if they step up and make a difference in the right way, then it kind of creates a win win scenario. You know, it's it's good for them and it's good for the it's good for the community. And I think that's I think that's unique, and I think that's exciting to see. We have one last story to kind of try and get in here at the, at the wire here. Uh, and this is under the umbrella of kind of like new social dynamics or different ways to engage people at your attraction. San Diego Zoo's Wildlife Explorers Camp has opened, redefining engagement with young visitors at the location. The key takeaway here is that inside the base camp, zoo guests will visit a variety of fascinating species and engage on a deeper level by utilizing full sensory and multifaceted elements, including parallel play. Opportunities from climbing and crawling around a master treehouse to exploring through water play elements, experiences, interactive touchscreens, games. Um, so the parallel play thing, I think, is is the the thing that is most interesting here. There is high tech integrations as well, but it is this idea of parallel play and engaging your audience in a different way. So, Philip, help us understand a little bit more about what p- parallel play actually means. I think it's a great buzzword, and I think we can understand it, but I think a lot of you folks are going to interpret it differently. I know I did, I, I've interpreted it about three different ways since I started reading this article. So in your mind, how do you view parallel play? That is a great question. And this is actually a thing that I really want to go and see myself. Actually, this is one of the things I want to go see how it's actually working. I think the theory is to encourage children to play at the zoo in the same way that animals play. Mm-hmm. So like be a play with animals, not like physically with animals, but as in like I want am looking at the monkeys over there and then a person is telling me monkeys like to play, they like to swing around, they like to do these things and we're going to now do that just like the monkeys do. So we're going to play in the same fashion surrounded by monkeys. In that way, we build empathy as to understanding how similar to us animals are. Well, and when you and when you play, you know, if you if you experience something while you're having a good time, um, study after study after study have shown that this is exactly. the strongest form of, of education. So um, I just wanted to make sure that we were all thinking the same way. Um, this is something that, again, science museums have done forever. Um, some zoos, even back in the day of when I was still working at Bush Gardens in Tampa, they had tried things similar to this where there were climbing climbing apparatus within a primate habitat. Um, so I, I think this is great that this is getting down to the, the zoo level, um, especially considering that so many zoos have had such a, a pushback on, well, we're here to educate, not just not entertain, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we'll, we'll call it the, uh, the blackfish backlash. Um, mm-hmm. So they've been terrified to actually say we're going to entertain. And I think this is a great way to get back to making certain that people have a good time while they learn important, not only facts about the animals, but also conservation issues uh, about these animals as well. So yeah, yeah, I I think that's, I think that's very exciting. And I think it's a great way to, to get guests doing stuff, which is always really important, uh, especially in educational settings. Well, that's, that's our time. We are, we're done for another week. Um, So on behalf of Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and Control and myself, Scott Swenson with uh, creative Scott Swenson, creative development. Thank you so much for listening. Please share the show with everybody you can think of. And uh, we will see you next week with still more things that we can chat about and maybe argue about. See you then. This is a haunted attraction network production.